Welcome to another episode of the RAG podcast. And for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. Since early 2019, I've been interviewing the most successful and innovative recruitment owners to learn how they rose to the top of their game. In season seven, I'm going to be having raw, authentic and insightful conversations with agency owners, entrepreneurs, leaders, people across the industry. And I want to be learning about their ambitions, what's happening behind the scenes in their agencies today and their plans to navigate difficult market conditions. I'll be bringing you the latest and greatest recruitment stories every single week on Wednesdays at noon across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast on this week's show. We are live again from the UAE, and on this week's episode, I'm joined by Abdul Rahman Rasilia, the CEO and founder of Arc Talent. Abdul is someone I actually worked with when I was in Melbourne in 2011 under the name Jay. In this episode, we talk about Abdul's life, how growing up in Australia, he was worried about the perception of being a Muslim in the workplace. So he actually changed his name to Jay to uh, get beyond stereotypical biases and prejudice um, and how he's then moved to the UAE and started his own business. Arc Talent has grown up and down over the last five years um, and he's now at a place where he knows exactly how he's building his business in a very unique model. So he's got a core team in the UAE and then they rely on freelancers all over the world. In this episode, we talk about Jay's life getting into recruitment how he built his name in some of the largest recruitment firms in the world, the mistakes that he's made, and this unique model that he's building to capitalize on the opportunity in the region without the headcount costs and the the same ego-driven um, way of building a recruitment company on headcount. If you're looking to grow your own firm and not have 100 headcount, but still benefit from the ebbs and flows of demand, you need to listen to this episode. So, Without further ado, Abdul, welcome to the RAG podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. No, my pleasure. You're the first uh, interview I've do- I'm doing live in person in Dubai. So. What a privilege. What a privilege. <laughs> I haven't interviewed like this since 2019, since be- no, 2020, just before the pandemic. I was interviewing in London every week in person. And then, as I said before, went remote, our cameras and equipment got stolen. So I've not done it. So you're my first one. That's a lot of pressure. Not a pressure. Better be good. Better be good. (laughs) Well, Abdul, look, I've done a brief introduction. Yeah. We're going to tell the whole historical story of you and and everything in between. For the listeners, could you just give us the bird's eye view of you and the business today? So people, headcount, location, specialisms, that kind of stuff. And then we'll go back and tell us. Sure. So Arc Talent, um, we are a handful on the ground here in Dubai. We have 13 to 14 freelancers around the world that cover uh, Europe, um, South Africa, South America, and Asia Pac. That's where they're based. Um, we have been going on now for just over four years. We're clicking into our fifth year now. Amazing. And the crazy thing is we work together. Well, yeah. we work for the same firm. I don't think you would have known me as a little minion. And I I didn't know you based on your name until you just told me that you were named, you gave yourself a different name. In I was working in a different name, yes. Yeah. Trading as a different name. <laughs> so, yeah. so as a human being... <laughs> You're like Prince in the crew with, you have different name. Um, but I remember, so I started my recruitment career in Melbourne, in, in Randstad, in the Rialto Towers. Yeah. And I remember a guy called Jay yeah. joined the business in a different team. And sales and marketing was the team that everyone kind of watched and admired. And you had energy and glamour. And um, 
and you were the you were the leader of that team back then. And I, and I as soon as you said Jay, I remember you coming in and um, great. It just feels like a long time ago. Twenty eleven. It feels like a long time ago, and then it kind of doesn't as well because yeah. I can still remember a lot of the things that happened there vividly. Yeah. All right. So a lot of the experiences, good and bad, I can still remember like they happened yesterday. And the names of people we both remember. We know so many. You don't them. forget, right? Yeah. They're still the same people. I, I need to get back to us and, and see them. I, yeah. I've only been back once in 2013, and I'll, I'll be back soon. Before we go into that, so how did you get into recruitment over in Melbourne? What was the story? Well, I was working door-to-door sales and mm-hmm. selling phones and selling, you know, sort of... Uh, did you call it chugging? No, we called it just door knocking. Because I, I did door knocking in yeah. in the UK. My yeah. first job in Melbourne was 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 studying the shopping centres. Oh, wow. Stopping people, trying to sell them like energy oh, and stuff. Wow. And they called it chugging, which okay. was a phrase I'd never heard in the UK. Worst job of my life. I lasted four days. And oh, well. So tell me about your experience doing it. I was just door knocking, selling, going into people's houses, knocking on their door at 6.30, 7.30. During the time that Seinfeld or Friends was on yeah. TV and interrupting that and say, hey, do you want to buy these new mobile phones? I think three Hutchison back then had some yeah. mobile phones and mo- and landlines in one. Wow. Right. So um, we were selling that for months and months and months. And that was that was actually good fun. Like, you know, because I'm a natural salesperson. So it's 100% commission? It, no, we had like a like a like a retainer. I think the retainer was like 500 a month or that. Right. like that, right? So just to get us by, yeah. pay for petrol or whatever it was. Then we'd jump in like a sort of orange van and get dropped off to our street. Yeah, without the letter. Not the doors and so forth, right? So... And then we were at a pub in Richmond, uh, probably nine months in, and one of the guys that used to work with us in the induction, he was there, and, and he um, came to meet us for some uh, beers, and he said, I'm in recruitment now, and we're like, what the hell's that? What do you do there? He's like, I, I find companies, um, uh, people who they need. He goes, you guys should come with uncapped comms. Yeah. And we had cap comms where we were door knocking. We're like, cap commission, what do you mean? Like, uncapped, the more you sell, the more you can earn. I said, get me in. And it was Bladen Taylor and Associates. That was the, first that was the name of the company. Yeah. It was, it was a proper old school. Sounds like radial legal yeah. firm, right? And I had like six interviews, did a role play, and it was intense. I think I was like 22, 23 yeah. at the time, right? And then got the job. And my first day in recruitment was, there was like me and five others who started. The GM came in at the time. His name was Regis Union. Right. right? He was an absolute weapon, but there was some uh, controversy around his name later on down the track. <laughs> um, his induction was, uh, he played the movie Boiler Room and said, watch this. He's like, this is our culture. This is what you do. Love. So he watched the movie Boiler Room. I had already seen it, loved it. You know, How do you know I've never seen it? Really? No. Oh, ben Affleck throwing his Ferrari keys on a boardroom table saying, this is what I drive. Do you want to be like me? And so forth. He's just seen Wolf of Wall Street. And I know yeah. the, the general gist, but... Or I, the room of the original. Yeah. These are just stockbrokers just, you know, selling it all the time, making it happen. Maybe I've seen it. Is there another one called Glen Gary... Glenn Ross or something. That's a different one, yeah. Yeah, so maybe yeah. I've seen Boiler Room and yeah. I've not seen that. There's one of them I've not seen. Boiler Room had like... Uh, it was Vin Diesel in Boiler Room. Vin Diesel. Ah, I've yeah. seen that one. Yeah. yeah. So that was the thing. We had 16 consultants on the floor yeah. in St. Kilda Road. Um, and then we moved to the new PwC building at the time, up on the top, 36th floor. We went into that office. Rajiv said, look at this beautiful office. Now pay for it. All right. So we had a rule. We had to stand up and we could not sit down until we picked up two jobs and arranged two interviews with our clients every morning, every afternoon. That was a deal. Wow. We had to stand up all the time, just dial, dial, dial all the time. And he would circle us like his prey. And just if, if I wasn't on the phone or someone else wasn't on the phone, he'd go to their phone, dial the next number on the call sheet, 
and then our suspect i always wonder though like how do you do any actual work if that's all you do because well, you've got to send a cv or format something when are you even allowed to do it? <laughs> well here are the secrets right we would call a client for example i'd call a medical supply company and say hey i'm working with an individual who's entertaining a move right now who's doing this this and this who's selling the same equipment into the same target market yeah. as you are are you looking at that to your sales team no i'm not how about if you met someone who was doing 116% of, of budget for the last three years, could you create a role for that person? Maybe. We weren't allowed to send a CV until they agreed on the phone to interview them on right. our time. So two o'clock Wednesday. Was it pre, pre, had you already pre-formatted that CV? We didn't even have the CV. All right. <laughs> we didn't have Blasted. a candidate. Right, okay, so well, it's blind specking. So right. you're blind specking, you win the job. You, yeah, you're telling them how amazing the person is, it doesn't exist. And then you've then got the pressure to find that you, person. You pick up the job, you, you stand up and scream, I need a sales rep selling medical supplies into hospitals and so forth, right? Everyone would just say, this candidate, this candidate, this candidate. It was, who, would, who would get ownership of it? So the guy would get 50% and then the person who filled it would get 50%. Oh. So complete splits. How, you must often let a client down though. Of course, yeah. You know, but like, do you just say they being young, being young and making money and making a lot of money, like making six figures as a early 20s is is a huge salary for a, for a guy in Oz, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there were 15 blokes, one girl. The girl used to work in a rehab center in the UK. She was an Indian Brit and she was the top biller every single month, every single quarter, every single year. <laughs> She just smashed every bloke out of the water. Wow. Why? She had discipline. Yeah. She had structure. She had everything on her desk. She knew what she was doing. And us 15 other cowboys were just on the phone, just chasing work, yeah. just trying to win work and so forth. But she knew what she was doing. She was picking up candidates, meeting them, hot spots, you know, where we were all picking up the work from and always making deals that way as mm. well. Right. So she was feeding herself in from both channels, picking up the work, but also filling our jobs. Mm. So she was clever. Clever girl. Yeah. yeah. So how did you evolve from that? Oh, we knew that the model was broken, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you said, we're letting down client after client after client. We're lying, yeah. right? It's just horrible. It's not emotionally. Yeah. So once you get to a certain age, you know, mid-20s, you start thinking, you know what, this is not the right way to do it. I go to a, a sort of a more tech recruitment company. They call it TRS, they were called, I think, um, in Sydney. And they, they hired me to um, to be like a 2IC for the manager there. And this is where I got my first my first leadership role. In Sydney? No, in Melbourne, right. because they opened up a branch. I was a 2IC there. I had my best billing years there. They were like, my best billing was $756,000, right? And then the manager got terminated for misconduct, the state manager. He was a bit of a party boy, mm. did some bad things and so forth. So the, the two founders from Sydney flew down in suits, they never wore suits, come down with a lawyer, come into the office and exited him. Wow. And I was like, going on, I was like 25, 26 years old. What's happening here? And they said, we're going to find like a new state manager. I said, I'll do it. You know, I, I know the guys. I'll do it. You know, why not? You know, if, I've always thought that I was born for leadership. Yeah, like, yeah. I was like a 14-year-old football captain playing under 16, yeah. under 18. Yeah. I, I was just that. I always wanted to wear the captain band. Yeah. I always wanted to lead. All right. Maybe, maybe it's because I have an older brother who always led me. So I always wanted to step away from that and always lead. Have your own everywhere yeah. else. Yeah. All right. So the, they gave me that job and it was the biggest car crash you will ever see it we shut down that office in 12 months time <laughs> i still think about some of those decisions that i was making and i was like yeah. how on earth did i even come to the conclusion that that was the right thing to do it was a disaster everything i 
they lost my revenue because I was focused on on uh, managing. So all the revenue that I was making that was keeping the business up, gone, gone, mm. or three quarters of it anyway. Yeah, I hired some mates of mine who had none of the recruitment just to bring them in, to bring that sort of entourage sort of feeling and yeah, yeah. and just keep them close and whatever. And that just failed. They they just couldn't recruit. We parted too much in the office, outside the office. You mentioned earlier when we're off uh, off the podcast. Um, you know the the smoke breaks, the coffees and so forth was just. Constant, you know, yeah. Just constant, right? So it failed. Came here to Dubai in 2007, eight, I think it was. I was interviewing for a job. I think it was the um, uh, the old Morgan McKinley okay. back then, right? Got an offer, accepted. Four days before my flight to um, uh, to Dubai, I got convinced to stay because my dad w- was a little ill. And I was in a very weird stage in my life where if I probably came here, I probably wouldn't have made it 30. Wow. Right? So that was the party life. That was that was the party life. It was it was a dark dark place. Yeah, uh, for a very 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 long time. Um, so being staying in Melbourne around the familiar sort of people that I know and family and friends that well, not necessarily friends because they were probably bad influences, but the family around me would probably not allow me to go that one step further mm. where I was going. Right. So I called them up after four, um, four days before the flight. I said I'm not coming. Stayed put. And then went to Hayes. Spoke to my mentor first, and, and he said, "You need to go to a big company. Stop these boutiques. Yeah, go to a big company. Understand the belly of the beast on how it works and so forth, and do that." So I went to Hayes of all places. Yeah, and I w- went in there as like a things like a section manager back at, at the time. Hayes is a amazing place for rookies. I mean, there's no better training ground in Melbourne or in Oz than Hayes. Wow, they are fantastic at it. They trained everything, even tone of voice and, and EQ. They were they were they were full on. Wow. Their nine month program before you exit that sort of associate sort of level to become an actual consultant, you need to do a lot of things. You need Did to- they re- rewire the way you recruited them when you came in? Yeah, yeah. You would have learned such a random like if I look at my brother work, do you know serious technology? Do you remember that? Tay. Yeah. Tay Ifropo. Yeah. So Jake joined them and I joined Randstad. Okay. And the way he basically learned how you learned like yeah. lying to people and I learned a different way and yeah. I went to like Sydney on training and I was getting all this like almost like methodical training and he was just on the phone all the time and yeah. he was making way more money than me of course but you you kind of learned that way you then joined Hayes did you have to like I had to yeah, yeah I had to relearn what what I thought was the right way in all these cowboys sort of environments mm. like you said being very active on the phone I still think even till this day being activity wins any market, any stage in life. If you are active, and you know this from Hoxo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The more active you are, the more you're going to be present of mind and actually win business and actually attract candidates and do deals. Simple as that. As long as, and I told myself, as long as I don't lose the activity side, but I need to publish up the process because it was horrible and I was letting too many people down yeah. in, that, in my process, then it would work. So... I kept up the activity, you know, 50 candidate calls a week, 30 BD calls a week, you know, setting, setting out X amount of CVs, managing a team in Hayes and doing all this, but just with a lot more polish yeah. and, and a lot more. It's not the, yeah, it's not the what you do, it's how you do it. Yeah, exactly. It's changing the, the way. Exactly. The, the energy's still there. Exactly. But I right. clashed too much with them. With the Hayes. Yeah, you know, top button up, tie on all the time. Yeah. You know, I was lucky my director, Pete Noblet, he was a fantastic guy, probably still is. He he really protected me from a lot of the hate. Um, Nick Delgianis, the CEO, 
um, he was like a lad, like he played like, with like football. So we spoke about football. I'd go in his office, you know, I'd have banter with him and so forth. But he'd always give me like, you know, you know, off the record sort of warnings. Jay, can you just, you know, do it be top button? People are complaining because everyone else has to and they see you not doing it. Can you put your shoes on when you're walking around the office? Did you have to like clean shave and all that? All the time. Right? I so can't get Clean off. shaven, top button up, tied done up. And I'm not seeing anybody except my colleagues. It makes no sense. I'm just like, what's going on here? Why? And I, and I would always challenge. So this is the problem in my life in general. I'll, if I have an opinion, I'm going to voice it. Good. And they, many who are rigid and, and stuck in their ways don't want to hear it. So it kept on going back and forth. And their pay wasn't great. But again, I, it was an exercise for me. I had to learn how they did things. I had to learn, you know, payrollers. I had to learn contract recruitment. I had to learn all this thing properly, right? I learned that and I learned it really well, even though I, my career didn't go nowhere near as, as well or as far as I needed to go in Hayes. Yeah. But it came to a point where I was like, okay, I'll dip my toes out there. And I, and I had a friend at Ransad who had just recently joined the sales and marketing team, Lee Jones. Big shout out to that guy. I remember Lee Jones. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's a, he stayed on, took my gig afterwards after I left there. But um, he's actually coming here next week to right. do some, uh, to try and expand his... Uh, it's funny, I remember the name. I can't remember his face. He's like a, he's a, like you, he's a full silver fox now. He's is it? A, cool. Yeah, lad. <laughs> I like myself. Was he uh, British or Aussie? No, Aussie. Aussie. Yes. And no one knew, we had a bit of a secret. We were childhood friends. Right. We had known each other since we were like kids, like seven, eight years old, right? So he had to act like he didn't know me because he recommended me to things saying, I know this guy from the market and so forth. Yeah. So they hired me as the sort of head, the director, whatever it was at the time for sales and marketing. Were you doing sales and marketing at Hayes? Sales and marketing retail at Hayes. But they, and they were making you wear your top button and all that. Because in, I remember in Randstad, it was pretty relaxed. Like I would wear, I'd always have a shirt, open collar and- Exactly right. I'd always be dressed up and I was a government. So I used to walk around the government departments and yeah. have coffee all day. I was rarely in the office, to be honest, it was brilliant. And then, but I remember the sales and marketing, Tim Sturman, and they, they were all a bit cooler. They had like different color jackets. We were color. They had a color, yeah. They had, we, like, had, we had pocket square. Yeah. yeah we had yeah. blazers. Yeah. yeah. We had jeans and so forth, right? Yeah, jeans. I remember, yeah. how's he wearing jeans? Oh, the clients. Were <laughs> and then, um, so you came in, how different was that environment? It was hugely different. Mm. You know, for starters, Tim Sternberg was like, he was, uh, he was amazing for me, right? Because he had, he had mastered the art to empower his leaders. Right. Right. So, and coming from a, a business where I felt restricted mm. and, and the complete opposite to being empowered at Hayes, going to Randstad where my group director was like, whatever you need, I've got you. Yeah. Let's turn this office on its head and take over. Yeah. And right? you did. And we kind of did, right? For, yeah. uh, for a period there. Well, I joined in the May, May, June of 2011. And you came in in the October, I believe. I think so. Is that right? I'm not sure about the date. I looked at your LinkedIn. Yeah. I think it's. I think she. I was there before you, and then you came in. But that team was already starting to take a bit of shape. And then I remember you coming in, and it just went boomf. So what did you do that made a small team grow and stand out in an in because it was like 150 people on that office floor. Yeah, 180. Yeah, and, and your little yeah. corner because it was right at the beginning yeah. on the right. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. It was good. There. Good memory. I remember everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember a lot. I've got a bit of a weird elephant. Yeah. But you guys, there's just this pumping region here. Yeah. And everyone else would be just like, and then at the end of Friday, you'd stand in the kitchen. Yeah. And your deals were just on another level and the consistent, it was an energy about your team that we didn't have it in the bloody government. 
I was lucky. I had I had good people in in the team like Lee Jones and Sophia Hang and Chris Padikas, and these guys. Sophia Heng was a huge builder, Nicola Hurst in the huge builder in life sciences, right? Mm. And that was a big part of Randstad. And Lee Jones and Chris Padikas came from springboard sort of BTA sort of um, uh, environment. So the whole cold calling yeah. culture, right? So they knew how to do the hard stuff, the grind. Then I brought San Marico over from, uh, from Hayes and that was, then it was my core five. These are my guys and everything else I'm, I'm going to build around these guys. And how I built was... We got Sarah Adamson from reception, turned her into an absolute superstar that she is today. She's just an absolute gun, right? Mm. And, and and was from day dot. She was probably the quickest learner in recruitment I've ever trained in my life. And then we hired everyone else from the UK. I said, I don't want anyone from here. I don't want from Michael Page, from from Walters, from uh, from anywhere else. I want people from the UK because they have the graft in them. All right, we do, yeah. So then we started. Sarah was on reception when I started. So she was, yeah, she was. I was when I interviewed there. I remember, her, and then she. We were friends anyway because she'd come down to the Hair and Grace and we'd all have drinks. And then she, so I was there when that transition happened. But she was the one trying to get me into your team. She was like, you'll do well here. Because I was. But she I, had a good eye. You would have. I would have. <laughs> and that was more me, definitely. But I, because I, I was on a visa, the 457, I just didn't want to mess things. I didn't want to like, you know. You wouldn't be stable. I felt like yeah. I was in debt to whoever put me anywhere. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like I had that confidence to turn. If I was a local, I think I'd have been a bit more vocal. And I was, we actually had those problems because, um. Probably the second year into my tenure there, we started, I launched a sort of mentoring programs because I wanted more cross-selling, right? Mm-hmm. So we would have me mentoring someone from, from a different division. So I was mentoring this girl, Alyssa, from Business Support. I was mentoring Jackie Ryland. Yeah, Jackie was in right? my team. So I was, and then others were mentoring other people from different divisions. So they had more cross-selling, more understanding and a different voice mm. and, a, and a different method on how you actually do your, your business, right? So what backfired was, when I was mentoring Melissa, she then put a request to, to her manager, Sky Bryce, at the time that she wanted to come to sales and marketing. Yeah. And then they called it poaching. Yeah, yeah, internal poaching. Internal poaching, because if she's spending time with me and learning my way of working and then, then seeing like what you're seeing from afar, which is the, the glitz and glamour of sales and marketing doing great, I want to be there. Yeah. So, so, and now I've uh, been talking to him for months. I like his manager style. I want to work for him. She joined. But it was it was the end of that sort of mentoring thing because they they just didn't trust that other managers wouldn't want to do the same and poach someone from somebody else. So did you feel like in bigger businesses like Hayes and Rans that it was just a collection of different companies all under one roof? Like you're almost com- more so with Randstad because Randstad had grown up through acquisition. Everyone it, it was had, all it was about five CRMs. They moved to the end front one when I was yeah. There. It took about an hour to load a page. Your memory is just ridiculous. Yeah, enough. Um, but I remember that transition from. Yeah. Bond adapt to that, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you, you're all where you're all sat in a floor. But you I think know, Hayes was different, was it to, to Rez? I think Hayes because Hayes, you come in as a rookie, probably eighty percent of the staff, and yeah. you're branded yeah. Hayes, Hayes, right? Blood. So you're Hazified, yeah. In, in how you think, you live and breathe that company. That's what it is, right? Rez was an amalgamation of 10, 13, 15 different brands coming together. And it was chaotic in those first few months because no one wanted to talk. Mm. No, one, no one knew what everyone knew um, or what they did and so forth. So we had to run like roadshows and like go around the different divisions and say, hey, I'm sales and marketing. We do this. Hey, I'm construction and we do these yeah. types of jobs. So if you hear about them, flick them our way sort of thing. There was nothing before that, right? And even like the first management meeting, like the, the board meeting that we had, it was like the last Friday of the of the month, and I think the guy who was running the whole Victoria office, Steve Shepard. 
Yeah, I remember Steve. He was English. Yeah, got on really well with Steve. And he and he come and he emails me because sales and marketing fell under him. He's like, I want you to chair the 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 board meeting. It was my first month. I'm like, I oh, know this is not a good idea. This is going to upset the leadership. Yeah, of this business because they've been here for longer. This new guy's coming in. It's in sales and marketing underneath Tim, Tim Sternberg. It's just going to set a bad precedent that they, they think that we're untouchable. But he said, no, I want you to do it because no one else, you know, wants to or can do it sort of thing. So I sat in my first you know, sort of board meeting, like the chair thing. Tell me what your business is doing. Tell me what your business is doing. And then try and like, you know, extract more information on where they're struggling. And like four weeks in, three weeks in, right? I was just like, oh, it's painful. But as you started doing more and more of those, started realizing that, the 20 odd people that were sitting in that room weren't the 20 odd people that should be sitting in that room. And we dropped it down to nine. Wow. We had a leadership teams sort of exercise. That's going to piss people off. And that was huge. Like Tiffany Quinlan, you remember her? Yeah. So she came in and she ran this sort of the, this program, this leadership program to determine who should be the, there's a difference between managers and leaders. You're running a business, you got a team, you're a team manager, that's fine. You're not necessarily the leaders of this office. So we had to run this exercise where you had to pick someone in the room and you had to tell them what they th- what you think they can improve to help the business and what you think they can improve to help your one-on-one relationship. Wow. And they c- can just say thank you. They can't say, oh, yeah, but I can't do that. Wow. No. And I had a line of people waiting to talk to me. Just to hit you. And I was like six months in, not even. So they wanted to just give it to me. And I was like, but yeah, and Tiffany was laughing her head off in there. And I was like, okay. And I was saying like, you, you could do more to, you know, to get us all together. You can do more for this. You can do more for that and so forth. It's like, okay. And I realized, came to me and this might, might come across a little bit arrogant, but I came to me like, I have a chance here to, to, to step in and bring everyone together, all these different companies together. And maybe it was my personality, maybe it was my self-confidence. I'm not sure what it was, but I can bring it all together and we can work as one company for the first time. And we, we, we got there. I picked three or four leaders. I became really close with them. We, we saw things the same way all the time and we just got everyone working together. There was no more me, you, I, whatever. It was company, team, individual. Right. That, that was what we came up with. Yeah. What's best for Radstad first? What's best for your individual team second? And what's best for you as an individual last? That will take care of itself. Yeah. As long as you're doing those other so what first, what worked? Why did you not stay with Randstad? There was a change in leadership. Uh, Dev, Deb Loveridge, who was arguably the best leader, I think, in recruitment in my time. I mean, she, was, she had a personal touch that was, she cared about the people that she needed to care about. Um, and she invested a lot of time and effort into them. Like I had uh, leadership development, you know, corporate psychologist, you know, sessions, 360s, the whole sort of thing, which I, I would never have had at. Yes, yeah. Right? That was all because of her driving and Tim and, and Steve and so forth. And they brought in this uh, French guy, Frank Rabu, I think his name was. We just didn't click. Yeah. Tim and I were not at odds, but we were... We were just we weren't seeing eye to eye as much anymore, so that was making it less enjoyable. Mm. And I do this not because for the love of finding people jobs. I do it because I I typically enjoy what I do, mm. right? And I enjoy who I work with. And my team at a point was super enjoyable. 
Like we were going surfing together mm-hmm. as a team exercise, going down to the you know the, the bells and so forth, and having certain hiring vans and the the big team would just drive out there and surf. Sounds We'd have dinners that they'd come to my house. My wife would put on a big buffet, and everyone would just come there. We'd listen to music in my house and so forth. We were close, really, really close, right? So it was really enjoyable coming into work every single day. We were sponsoring the Grand Prix. I was going there having no breakfast yeah, yeah, with, yeah. you know, the the Williams daughter. Um, uh, you know, well, forget her name, forget her first name, but I've got photos of like, sitting with her, having breakfast and so forth, meeting the drivers. It's an experience that you like, you can't buy, right? Yeah, yeah. Once that relationship started, you know, becoming a bit fragile with me and Tim, and once the new CEO came in and him and I just did not see eye to eye, it's almost like he came in with a mission of changing everything that was there and bringing in his own method and not respecting what had, the work that had been done prior. Yeah. Right? And I was like, well, okay, what should I do? I interviewed secretly for a job in Manhattan, Bradstead, for a branch manager. Did that four or five stages. Was that office stage? Went to the missus after we had just come back from New York for our you know, late honeymoon. And I said, do you want to go to New York? She's like, yep, brilliant. And that same night, I got reached out to by a company in Dubai who said, let's talk. And within a week, I had a contract in my hand from Dubai. Wow. Tax-free, Muslim country. I just found my faith, became a lot more practicing, praying five times a day, gave up all the things that I was doing prior when I was J and so forth. I thought, can we just... Touch on that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. The, the big thing, we've worked together now for a few months. You, you, you and David have, have been on my boot camp and we can talk about that. And I knew we were both Randstad, but I just couldn't put you... And I, I'm, my memory's so strong that yeah. I'm thinking, well, where were you? Because it's just not yeah. right. And the second you said, you actually changed your name in Australia. To, I did, yeah. From Abdul to Jay. Yeah. yeah. Instantly, I knew you then. I was like, yeah. Canel, yeah, I remember Jay. I remember your jeans being yeah. tight. <laughs> and your jacket. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I, I've got that memory, right? So why did you name yourself Jay in Australia? Why couldn't you be Abdul in Australia? The first three or four years when I was using my real name, it just wasn't well received by clients and candidates. Um, on the phone, when you're, when you're phone selling, you know, saying Abdul or Abdurrahman, like it is, uh, it's difficult, right? And uh, I was saying that. Australia is a really racist country, but there is a, there's elements of it, right? And, uh, and being young and being energized and being extremely motivated and ambitious, I didn't want that to sort of stand hold you back, right? So mates that I grew up with, you know, we had like a bit of a nickname for me, Jay, and oh, it's another story, but and, <laughs> and I won't go into it because I won't humiliate myself. But, um, uh, um, so that was like my sort of weekend name anyway, right? So I said, you know what, I'm going to bring it into the workforce and I'm going to just use Jay Residia. And I did that, I think it was like... And did you notice a change in your career based on that? Yeah, 100%. Wow. Yeah. What was your people reply? Yeah, because I, mean, I didn't look ethnic. Like, like, I I didn't have a beard. Yeah. No, I, yeah, you definitely yeah. looked different. Yeah, so yeah. I was clean shaven, you know, I had more hair on my head and so forth, and I, and I wasn't... And your accent is pure Australian, you wouldn't know where you're from. I'm full wuzzy, right? Yeah. And uh, and I didn't have the tan skin that I have now because Melbourne, <laughs> you, you get like that. 10 months of winter, right? Yeah. So it's this horrible weather. Yeah. So... um. Yeah, I, I sounded Australian. I looked Australian, and and my name was Aussie. Yeah, even though I had an ethnic sort of back, I'm a sort of surname and so forth. It, it was, uh, but that could be Italian or anything, Brazilian. Exactly, you know, right? Yeah, exactly. So that worked, even though I didn't used to get a lot of what's your name, Jade, or you know, yeah. or Jake, or whatever it was, Jacob. Yeah, still didn't actually get the um, uh, the name that I actually wanted. 
but I did name my my third child after Jay. I called him Jacob, so he can be called Jay afterwards. Mm. Just a my brother-in-law is called Jay J A Y. That's his name. Yeah, it's just Jay. I like that. Yeah. So you it worked for name. me. It worked for me. They changed my name, did that, and I was living a different life. And and you, you said know, you used to drink and well party a lot, and it, you couldn't get more polar opposites. Right. And I and that's not even the slightest exaggeration. That who I was then, and who I. So when I met you, today, were you still drinking then? Um, I had just stopped. Just stopped. So what? How did the drinking start? Was it just classic, get to 17, 18, go out with your friends? Like, it just just a circle of friends. My dad always told me growing up, you know, just pick the right friends because you are who you hang around with. Mm. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, like, I know who I know. Like, these, are my, these are my friends and everyone does the, the same sort of thing, right? And yeah. the ones who didn't, I found them boring. So I just didn't, like, click with the ones who were on the on the straight path, right? So... And it got dark, it got very, very dark, very, very dirty. And uh, um, it took meeting the missus on a blind date. And uh, oh, how, what was your like routine like previous to the, your wife then? So you'd work all, you'd, you'd manage to get through a week of work and still be quite successful. I never called in sick. Right. So you'd, you must have struggled though in the mornings to be pro- productive. I, I prided myself on being able to sort of cope. Yeah. You know, like I, I would rock up almost every Monday straight from right so it it was it just you, you over could, time you so you'd pull out on a friday night mm. and you'd stay out till monday yeah. morning pretty much yeah wow yeah like i said very dark yeah in in the moment in the time thinking this is great this, this is enjoyable but to, towards the latter part of it probably the last probably 18 months of it it became very 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 painful Mm. Not physically painful, just mentally painful. Yeah, yeah. That nothing was, was, I couldn't find happiness. Yeah. It was just very, very dark and lonely. Um, the people that I was surrounding myself with, they were good people for what I was doing. Right. Yeah. So I'm never going to blame my circle of friends. Can't, no. I'm an adult. I'm making my own choices. Right. I just always took it too far. Yeah. And, and didn't know where to stop. And I had an older brother who was with me. Right, so we were like like this, right? Like for twenty odd years, like we did everything together, everything, traveled the world together, everywhere we went, we went together. Our friends were our were our mutual friends, right? Yeah. So two years apart, we were always together, right? So, but we, we we always spoke. We have to stop. We have to stop. This is just too much. This is too much. Because we knew we had we had a great family. We had a uh, they they were becoming more and more religious and so forth as well. And it, it was like we were letting them down. So your dad was finding Islam. Yeah, like your... he found that like um he became very religious probably in my late teens. Right. Um, my mum the same, and then we just struggled with that sort of change of dynamic. We were very like strict, as in like ethnic strict, like yeah. Albanian strict, but we weren't like religious strict too much, right? And then they were very religious. We knew a lot about it, right? Yeah. We I knew from a very young age how to recite Arabic, right? All right, so. And I still know it now. I, I, strangely, you know, I never forgot how to do that, even in the dark times. Right. But I just didn't have a connection um, to God the way that I do now. Right. I just didn't have a fear of God the way that I do now, because it it just wasn't there. What was the final thing that you said it was? It, was it just your wife, or was there something else that made? Look, I think, I think my 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 mind was saying, 
a change was needed, which is why I, I probably agreed to go on a blind date with someone that was referred to me by my niece of all people. Yeah. who was like, you know, she's older. Um, and um, I always wanted to be with someone who converted to Islam, not born in Islam, because it was a choice for them then. Right. And therefore, they're going to be strong for me. Yeah. Right. That's how I always saw it. Wow. And my mum was pretty much like a convert as well, because she was like an Aussie girl, and then, then she, you know, became Muslim and so forth, and she ended up putting up, putting on the hijab and things like that when I was older and all that sort of stuff, right? So uh, when I heard that that my my wife back then she was a she was a convert, I'm like, okay, I'll meet this girl, right? Because I didn't think that I could hide who I was to the person who I was going to end up with, yeah. And if I met someone who was sheltered they would run for the hills Yeah, if I told them half the stuff that I had done, right? So I needed someone who had lived that life prior themselves. So what's your wife's background? She's Macedonian-Serbian, right? Uh, Christian Orthodox. What made her change to it? She converted to Islam three years before she met me. She had a dream. She was quite sort of inquisitive and she was spiritually inclined and very sort of, uh, um, she needed no answers for things, right? Like why things happening and so forth, right? So um, she had a lot of Turkish friends, a lot of Bosnian friends, that sort of, you know, just... You know, she just heard things or, or, or saw things. She's extremely intelligent, so she did a lot of research herself. She's a sleep scientist by trade, so she's got that sort of mindset where, you know, she can read, she can absorb, and, and she can understand, whereas I'm quite dyslexic and I'm yeah. not that type of person, right? So she's um, uh, she read up, and then she had this vivid, vivid dream that just the next day she said, I have to just become Muslim because of this sort of thing. So then three years later, she met me, and... Yep. And you were still drinking at that point. I rocked up from a haze party, end of month, Friday party. Rocked up from there on Collins Street or whatever it yeah. was and rocked up to St. Kilda to meet her at a restaurant called Pelican. Right. Um, and I was 45 minutes late, 50 minutes late to the... To the and you'd been drinking at the party. Oh, I was, I was getting warmed up. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, rocked up to the, to, the, to the dinner. My niece was a chaperone. Right, so she was like a, a third wheel because she hadn't met yeah. Tanya Priam. And um, I was like, I came up late. I had my, my hoodie on, just rocked up and just uh, thought I was uh, the man and just uh, sat down, got the menu out of her hand and just ordered for us. Didn't ask her anything. Just ordered, we're going to have this, this and this, thanks, you can leave now. And then just started grilling her, asking her questions. Tell me why you, you became Muslim. Tell me, tell me this, tell me this, tell me this. And at the end of that, Sounds like an interview. Yeah, pretty, well, I was I was a recruiter. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said to her towards the end, I said, we're going to get married. She laughed at me. I said, no, no, we're going to get married. She's like, no chance. You're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. She walked away, had a bit of a look, and then uh, called my mate, my best mate at the time, who was at the same time the worst influence at the time as well. Yeah. I said, I'm out. Yeah. Don't call me. I'm getting married. And he's like, <laughs> all right, mate, see you tomorrow. And I'm like, yep, yeah, out. And that was it. And what about her? Was was she sold straight away as well then? Oh, uh, she likes to, she still says that she wasn't. Well, she was. Okay, but I reckon she was, wow. mate. You know, she was, I think she was smitten. And how long did you take to get married? Six weeks we got engaged. No way. Yeah. Six weeks? Six weeks we got engaged. So how did your life, I mean, we'll get into the recruitment story yeah. in a minute, but how did your life then, how do you, how do you take, you know, a lifestyle that you've been doing for so long meet a woman and transform it all like what what were the stages to becoming sober committing to islam getting married like that must have been a huge change that doesn't come easily and it's not all positive i'm interrupting today's episode to give you a message from our brand new sponsor now this company are called untapped and 
everyone knows that Hoxo through this podcast I've, I've explained that we we've built our team internationally heavily in South Africa okay and I get questions all the time from clients and people who listen to the show like how have you done it what was the process etc well I've partnered with a business that can ultimately reveal it all share it all and, and help you do the same right because look it's been a tricky year for the sector and many of people through uncertain times have had to streamline operations. However, you know, accessing low cost resources internationally has proven to be a bit of a cheat code for some people, including Hoxo. But anyone who's tried it like us, it's very difficult, a lot of work process to get it right. So this company Untapped are one of the hottest companies in the market. They've helped Hoxo, they're helping our clients. Um, and they specifically look at companies in the UK, US, Middle East and Australia transition to using remote individuals and building full offshore sourcing and recruitment solutions. So they source talent pools from places like South Africa and the Philippines. Um, and we're talking about experienced talent here. We're not talking about graduates with no experience. This is like people with three to five years recruitment experience and integrate them into your UK team, okay? So they work remotely, but plug into your UK team. Um, they put around 3,000 candidates per month through an intense four-stage interview and online testing process to find the top 1% or 30 people and secure these people for work with recruitment agencies like yourself. You know, all candidates are benchmarked against UK competency frameworks and the, the way in which you would hire in the UK. So we're not, again, we're not talking about cheap for the sake of being cheap. We're talking about international experienced people just living in lower cost locations. So it's a really simple process if you want to work with these guys, you pay a deposit to kick off their search. They then provide a candidate shortlist in 14 days. And then you can put people through your own process to hire them permanently, or there's a freelance option. So if you just want to try before you buy, they can employ them. You pay a daily rate and it's a freelance option. Untapped are totally transparent with all the salaries and fees. Um, but, you know, we're talking about you'll still pay about 70% less than a UK equivalent in that role. So it's a no brainer to complement your existing team to handle surplus demand and ease cost pressures. You know, if you're not using this to rip up your business and rebuild it with global resources, then you're probably gonna fall behind eventually. So due to demand and capacity, they're only operating on a waiting list right now. So if you wanna be part of their waiting list, go to www.tryuntapped.com. Okay, www.tryuntapped.com and check out their information. Make sure you say that you listen to the RAG podcast um, because they'll do you a very special deal as well. Right, go and check them out. Back to the show. No, still still to this day, we talk about it, about how that change was actually executed in the sense that it was, because um, it was a real struggle. Mentally, physically, it was a real struggle. Um, a lot of cold sweats, a lot of shakes, a lot of just uh, changing bad habits, Yeah. right? She was a very, very strong woman for me that maybe it was her medical field that enabled her to sort of not be deterred by it. Mm. Uh, but she was able to sort of help me through it. She needed some help from me because um, on more of a deeper sort of personal front, uh, her parents weren't happy with the marriage. Right. Um, being Macedonian, Serbian, Serbian, Albanian is as bad as the recent conflict right now right so it's just uh there's some genuine hatred there and so really so um she had a bit of a estrangement from her side of the family which then almost forced me to 
you know, bottle up what I need to deal with and be the man and be the person that she needed to be and so forth, right? So coupling those two together and putting the very sweet cherry on top, which is religion. Mm. And the spiritual connection that I had was growing to the point that at Razdad, they gave me a prayer room because I asked for it. And in previous years, my dad would tell me, you should pray at work. I said, they're not going to give it to me, dad. You know, they, they hate Muslims or whatever it is, right? That is what I'm doing. He's like, you never know until you ask. Like, they're not going to do it, mate. They're not going to do it. Little did I know they wouldn't give it to me because why would they give it to me? I was behaving in a way that was worse than them. Yeah. So why would I then turn around and say, hey, give me a prayer room. I have to pray now. Whereas when I stopped and I changed and then I said, give me a prayer room because, and even like my team, they could see my calendar that I had in, in my yeah. calendar. I had to pray now at lunchtime, pray now late afternoon. That was huge for me. That was my almost like, you know, when you do yoga, you get centered, right? And yeah. you, you get that clarity. The stress of recruitment is always high, right? The stress and the pain of my change and my transformation was even higher. Without prayer, I was finished mm. because I was praying every morning, lunchtime, afternoon, dinner time, nighttime, and I wasn't missing a prayer. You had a regimen to follow and stick. Had to, right? And had to just stick to this and that clarity that I was getting from my spirituality was was the only thing that got me through it in the end. How did discipline to not drink, to, you know, change your habits daily and stick to something that was religious, religiously followed day in, day out, how did that impact the rest of your life? Yeah, it was huge because my whole life changed. Mm. I had to find things to do socially that wasn't to do with you know drinking and partying and going out with friends so dinners became very quite tame the first sort of 12 18 months because i didn't want to be on a table full of people drinking wine and so yeah right um i took up golf and that was a nice little change for me so walking around the course of four hours fresh air you filled your time doing something i filled my time doing something else right so i just you know focused on more things you know that just to keep myself occupied and just, you know, got into more different sports and so forth. But it was huge. It was like, you know, I look back now and think, I, if I had my time over, I, how would I execute that in the way that I did? I, I, I don't even know how it actually happened in the end because it was complete cold turkey with everything. And I was able to function. I was able to operate, to do my job. I developed a huge speech impediment when I was young. I couldn't even go to a like to a cafe and order any food. I couldn't speak, right? But back then it was frowned upon to like get like speech therapy, right? Just like, you know, shame. Yeah. Like, um, you'll get through it sort of thing. Kind of got better. And then when I started like going out with, with the lads, it started getting worse and worse and worse. And then I realized when I started getting cleaner and, and, uh, and more of a better lifestyle, I started to be able to communicate better. Public speaking became a lot more easier for me and so forth, wow. right? So running training sessions and things like that. Body's ability to repair is just incredible. It's, it's amazing. Two years before I, I stopped sort of, you know, going out, I stopped smoking because I had some sort of the lung scares and so forth as well. So I was a heavy smoker, like pack a half a day. Wow. Quit that, cold turkey as well. I just like let it go in 2009 and 2011. I um, uh, um, changed my life when I met the missus. I've never smoked, but... I, like I'm not drinking on this trip in Dubai and I was telling you like it's, yeah. been a, it's been incredible for me it's the first trip I've ever done in my life I've done a lot of alcohol free periods but the flight and the weather of this kind of place always triggers me to want a beer and the yeah. first day out here my father-in-law drinking Heineken all day was like oh god I want a beer but after because my wife 
my wife's been suffering quite a lot with postnatal anxiety and OCD and she's realized that a drink makes her feel horrific. And, yeah. and she was probably the person who would encourage me to have a drink previous. So now she's not drinking. I'm like, I'm going to take this opportunity yeah. and we're going to do a holiday. And since day one, after getting over day one, I felt amazing. I've loved it. It's like, I don't need to drink on a trip now. I can, and I'm going to, I'm kind of thinking how is my relationship with alcohol is going to change a lot beyond this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to commit to anything out externally yet, but I'm thinking that I quite like them. I'll say put it on the record. I like it. What are you going to do? I don't know. My, my first kind of idea is 2024 sober. That's yeah. kind of, I don't know. That's huge. I, I don't want to commit to it because I, you've really said it. I need a bit of time to <laughs> properly, and I, I need to commit to it mentally first, but that's where I'm leaning at the moment. Well, you know what, what I found from the, the biggest thing that I took away from my change was I always thought, like, you know, growing up in my sort of early stage in my career, the whole sort of negative attitude towards my name, towards my faith in, in Australia, right? And I, and I always, I look back now and I, and I probably created it more than what it actually really was, right? Because of my own weakness in my own faith. Yeah, you're right. And so I just blamed it as in like, I'm not going to be able to do this because of my name and, and because they see me as a Muslim and so forth. And, you know, just remarkably what we, what I noticed was as I was becoming more and more practicing in my career, especially at Randstad, people were drawn to what, what I was doing, yeah. my lifestyle, drawn to my prayer and, and how that impacts my day. You're different. You're, you're, you're different, it's right? different and it's, I think discipline and commitment, people are inspired by it. Yeah. And that's what I felt. And it was, it was such an overwhelming feeling because I went from thinking that being a Muslim in Australia in the, in the workforce would be an obstacle. And now all of a sudden it's becoming this sort of, this power that I have, right? That people want to understand um, what I'm doing that makes it work for me and how I deal and how I compartmentalize things that are happening and so forth and that clarity that I get from uh, from prayer and all these things and everyone's just genuinely interested and I found myself, you know, being like a spokesperson for the, for the faith. Do you know what? Totally off topic in terms of the re the, the kind of the, the backbone, but I, I, you know, on my previous episode where I was the guest, I said that my, I believe my whole life that my, I leave things till the last minute and I don't plan, right? That I don't plan, you know, this episode, I've not sat here meticulously planned it. It's yeah. just not who I am. And if I've got to write a report or create a presentation, if it's due on the 21st, I'll probably do it on the 20th. Same. And I, but I thought that was a weakness my whole life. I used to beat myself up and be like, you're lazy. You're... And I've realized now it's a superpower. Like I'm genuinely capable of great things when under pressure in, in short periods of time. Yeah. But it's took me 35, 36 years to figure that out. Yeah. Just like you. Yeah. I always beat myself. Now I'm like, my team, I literally say to me, Sean, I had one yesterday. In April, we're going to Amsterdam. I'm talking at a German, uh, an event for the Staffing Expo in Amsterdam. What date are we getting there? Am I coming with you? All these questions. I was like, I'm not even thinking about that now. Like, yeah. Let's just deal with it in the future. Like, yeah. She's like, oh yeah, I forget kind of how you deal, how you, I d I'm not interested in worrying about April. Yeah. I'll worry about now. I'll yeah. deal with April when it comes. <laughs> and again, I'm really comfortable with that now. But, my whole life I wasn't. And that yeah. sounds very similar. To different different theory, but same same idea. So let's fast forward now to the to your own recruitment firm. Yeah. So without going into all the agencies, you've, you've done a lot of things for other people. Mm -hmm. When was it? Why did you start your own business? What was the trigger that made you go, I'm going to do this for myself? Well, it was different, right? Because 
like you said, doing a lot of things for a lot of people. And typically the ones who start their business, they don't wait, you know, sort of 17, 16 years in the industry to then start their own firm. They, they do five, maybe six. Five, six years is and then typical, they go, right? Yeah. So I had a patience to learn because I wasn't a, a school learner. Yeah. Right. So I wasn't on the job learner. Right. Mm. So, and I just needed to see how everyone else did things. And I, I, I stand by this statement. I've had bad experiences and good experiences everywhere I've gone, but I would not change them. And even the ones where they've been more bad and, you know, some, some in this part of the world, I don't look at those people who I worked with or worked for with any sort of resentment at all. No. Because what I've got from there got me to my next stage, right? And then, then what I got from that business got me to the next stage. Could I have ended it better with, uh, with my previous firm? It probably could have, but you know, it happens. And it was the last kick that I needed to then start my own firm, right? So that was what I needed. So I always try and see. So you were already living in Dubai. I've been here for, so I moved here in 15. Right. Okay. Joined one firm. It was, it's not even on my CV. I joined it for two, three months. It was an absolute horror show. Right. I resigned. But it got you out here. It, it got me out here, right? Yeah. Um, I went to a more established sort of larger boutique, did my time there clashed with the CEO for obvious reasons. I think my personality is just because I need I need to. I feel that my ambition sometimes is a challenge for people who manage me. Mm. Right? So um, it definitely was with that individual. I would love to be able to sit down with him and, and break bread again. I don't think he's keen. Not sure why. Um, I'm happy to, but he wouldn't. Um, went to another firm, which was great became a partner, bought into the business and so forth. And that was my first real taste of ownership, right? And that was really good. Like I said, it could have ended better, but it didn't. Um, and that was that last kick. It's like, I can't now go back as an employee. I need to now have my own. I know enough people here now. Yeah. I have a good enough brand here now. Better now since Hoxo. But, um, mm. uh, but I can do this on my own. Yeah. And... Mate, who would have thought that starting a business six months before COVID? Uh, you know, that was that like horrible, horrible timing, right? Like it's just so to paint the picture. Then what did, did what did the business look like? Oh, oh, mate. So we, I launched it. I have some really good friends around me. Um, I've got the same mentor back home that I've had for fifteen odd years. I speak to once every month or once a quarter, right? Um, and then I've made friends with the founders of uh, Digital Gurus in the UK. Yeah, obviously I have an office here for Rook and Seth and. Um, I was talking to Farouk at the time when I launched the business that just a lifestyle business, mate, that's it. That's enough. I was due for my third kid and, and so forth. Just easy. I told the missus, I'll start my own firm five hours a day, babe. I'll, I'll make a few placements, pay the bills. We'll have a good life. I'll be around more. Yeah. Got wind of some projects, some RPOs, not really RPOs here because they don't really exist, but, uh, you know, retained it, outsource yeah. models, right? Yeah, yeah. And I pitched and I won one. Wow. Okay. And, I, and like I was saying outside, uh, Farouk was, and I were laughing because I didn't have the right to be in that conversation because I was up against genuine firms, you know, global players. And I won. But it proves why people in our sector, it's all about the, it is about the people. Yeah, it's because it's you. It's not it's the company name. No, no, it's not. You've won it because of you. No, no. And even four years on, no one's calling Arc Talent. No. They're not calling Arc Talent because of Arc Talent. No matter how good I like to think the brand is. It's the, it's the individual people who actually work in there, right? So, won that account. It was it was a large retainer. It was a twelve month contract. It was meant for ninety hires. 
well, it was happy days. I hired all the guys from Digital Gurus or all but one sort of thing. We're ready to go. We were growing. We got to you like two P'd them over to you, did you? Yeah, yeah. And then did all did all this. It was fantastic. I got to like ten or twelve people at at one stage. COVID came, lockdowns, no one's hiring. What was Dubai like in COVID? Well, to be it fair, wasn't as locked down as us. To was be it? fair, our lockdown wasn't anywhere near like anyone else's. So credit to the to the country here. They they really handled it. Is well. that because of the weather though? Or? I think we just had six weeks of, of genuine lockdown. And then they just said, the economy probably can't survive yeah. if people aren't working. You know, we hemorrhaged for six weeks, right? I remember because one of my mates was living on the palm and he said he, you you couldn't leave like for more than a certain, an hour or so at yeah. the very beginning. Yes, I have permits that to leave it. the house. One permit per household per day to go to Carrefour or to go to any yeah. supermarket, go, wow. go to a pharmacy and so forth. So, so it was almost like, the excitement, like I'm going today to the supermarket and I'm going to get the groceries <laughs> because I want to get out of this apartment, right? It was just, it was insane. We will get on to yeah. recruitment, but we'll go back to recruitment in a minute. But I'm just thinking with your faith that you've rediscovered or discovered in a few years earlier, surely going into lockdown must have been an incredible time for you because it's like you, you, you're literally forced to be at one with yourself and with with your faith and you're not distracted there's no distractions yeah there's a did you did you did you feel like you could spend more time and it with myself like, yeah. yeah and uh, again my wife laughs at, at my my ability to just accept things for what they are, for what they are. Mm. um i don't dwell on things that are out of my control never have never will yeah um and i enjoy my own company a lot so I'm a very sociable person work-wise. So I love talking to people on the phone for work, doing deals, meeting candidates, meeting clients. I love it doing this. Yeah. I've got my own podcast. Yeah. I love talking to people. Whether it's on camera, doing stage panel events, whatever it may be. Socially, however, she has to drag me. Now, when I'm there, I open up again. Yeah. Right? But the idea of it to me just doesn't sound pleasing. I would rather be by myself. I call it me time. There's a running gag between my wife and I, our friends and so forth, that I will always commit to me time. That is me sitting by the pool or doing something else and just tuning out from the world and just, whether it's just hearing my own thoughts, listening to some Quran recitation, whatever it may be, and just giving myself some peace. Yeah. Because it's hectic. Yeah. When you got kids and exactly under right. business. It, and how do you kids respond in those moments? Do they know what you're doing or do they? They know, yeah. So they, they, what they... The two older ones are old enough now. They're eight and seven, right? So they know that that's my time now. The younger one still comes up to me and taps me while I'm just sitting there with my eyes closed and just and says, oh. daddy, daddy sort of thing, which is nice. And I just like play with him for a little bit. But the other two know now that daddy's out there doing what he's doing because he just needs some time just yeah. to decompress, right? Because it's crucial. Otherwise, I'm just going to be wired. I'm not going to be the husband that I want to be. I'm not going to be the father that I want to be. And I won't be the operator that I want to be for the business. So I... Always commit to that. So those three things are literally what I've wrote down is all I care about this year. Like yeah. two things. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And you know what? Like I'm a, there's an argument between parent or partner first. You know, like um, I've always I always say that I'm I'm a better husband than what I am father. Really, I'm learning how to be a father day in day out. I think I I just naturally um uh, um took to becoming a husband a lot easier. I'd say the same. Yeah. But mine is a stepfather role, so it's a slightly different role than true than my. I've got my own child now, and I've got yeah. two stepkids, and that, that without a doubt, being a stepdad is my hardest job. 
even every day I doubt myself. Every day I don't think I'm doing well. Yeah, every day, yeah. it's the only thing in my life I actually think I'm not very good. Yeah. It's crazy, and you doubt, you doubt the the reasons you, you, the kids will respond in that moment. I'll always personalize it it's because I'm not their dad. Yeah. When I then watch them respond the exact same way to their mom and go, well, probably nothing. To, you know, I, I make it about me too much. Yeah. Um, but I completely, I, I, I agree. Also agree. I was married once, divorced, and now married again. And I love that. I do love them. I, I know I'm with the right person now, and I love that husband role. I, I'm, I do. I don't find it easy, but I find I f I'm fully committed to it. I'm fully committed to being the father, but I don't. I don't find it easy. <laughs> it's I get difficult it. because it's just I don't know they, they they're young. They got their different personalities. You try and not respond to them in a way where it's about your emotions because it needs to be about how they're feeling. Yeah. And in that day where you're probably having a horrible day. And they're coming to you with something that it just doesn't make any sense. No. You're just sitting there scratching your head and, and, and you're just like, I don't want to deal with this right now. Like someone else can deal with this right now or I'm going to deal with this in the wrong way. Right? Yeah. I, I, it's funny because I'm, I'm on a holiday now, right? So I've just spent the last two weeks going to hotels and doing things. And um, there's me, my wife and her mother and her stepdad. Yeah. And her mom's disabled. She's in a wheelchair. So everywhere we go, we've got to think about the kids my baby as well the pram but also wow. wheelchair so it's the, the logistics are heavy and they've never been to dubai and i've been that many times i'm like mm, the the guru of can we go there should we go there? I'm, i've never even been to that place but anyway so but i've I realized the kids just i hear my name constantly like we're all around the pool there's four adults and it's just sean 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 which was annoying me right and i was like why aren't you picking on the but but i've I spoke to one of my mates the other day, and he's like, "That's a good thing." He's like, "That means they respect you. They they want your attention. You know, they obviously feel like you you're going to respond to them." Yeah. And because um, my wife's with the baby and she's focused, and then my step my my, my father in law is looking after his wife, who's who needs his help twenty four seven. So I'm the most available adult. But it is amazing how for like maybe the first few days I was kind of negative. The percept the hearing of my voice was a negative. And it took a conversation externally with another father to go, well, I think that's a positive. But then I'm trying to enjoy that. Yeah. I'm trying to like, I'm appreciative of it. But it, it's a constant game. It's a constant yes. mental battle, right? And I'm sure you felt that. I'm sure you feel it every day in a different way. And look, and uh, our household dynamic is where the kids are with me, I'm very, I'm, I'm very structured. Yeah. I come from a father who was undiagnosed, OCD and very structured. His grandfather was an army general, mm. you know, and very, very structured, very, very disciplined. Um, the kids know what they can and can't do when they're with me. As soon as the missus comes into the equation, <laughs> all right, the kids are feral, okay? They're running around the mall or the, or the supermarket. I'm just like, what is going on? Yeah. Because, and they just sling on her and I feel for her. Mommy, mommy, mommy. They pull her on, onto her sleeve, onto her jeans. She's like, mommy, mommy. And she's like, I, I feel annoyed for her because they're saying her name so much, right? They won't do it to me. Because they know I'll say, wait, stop. That's it, just wait. Yeah. Give me a second, I'm, I'm doing something else. She, she doesn't have that sort of firmness to her. She, she's that stern. So it, it's like three kids just hanging all over, jumping all over her. She's just sitting there. She's like, I can't no, feel. give me a break. See, get, we're, get me out of here. we're similar in the fact that 
like I'm completely regimented. Like if it's eight thirty, it's not eight thirty one. Like it'll annoy me if it's eight thirty. It's eight thirty, right? If they go to bed at eight thirty, they go to bed at eight thirty. Whereas my wife is a lot more grey than me. I'm a lot more black and white. Yeah. She'll be like, if it's eight thirty five and they're not got a bed stressed, does it really matter? Like they're in a good mood and I'm like, maybe not. But in my head, my mum was just black line, black and white lines. Yeah. But my wife's also really good at zoning out. She can just, she'll just ignore it. She'll just like, when they're going crazy, she just, I don't know where she goes, but I can't go there. And and I'm I'm in the room and I'm aware. And I, so that, I think they they shout my name because I respond more. Yeah, yeah. Okay. She's just like, mummy, mummy, say it as many times as you want. You ain't okay. getting my attention. Yeah. Unless I'll, I'm, I'm going to give it to you for the right reason. Whereas I'm guilty of always taking the bait. <laughs> yeah. But I'm only three years into this, well, two and a half years of being a dad, where yeah. she's got 10 years, my, my wife, you know? She's the She's your senior. She's my senior. She's my <laughs> principal consultant. Um, so let's go back to the recruitment side. So you, you get to 10, 12 people. You've got this big fat retainers. You go into COVID. We told me offline that you then lose the retainers. We lose them all, right? Yeah, no one's hiring. No one's going to pay us 100,000 a month for a monthly retainer for 90 hires. No one's no. hiring. No. All right. We did three months of it. We got paid. And then the CEO at the time, he said, mate, I'm sorry to do this. We have to pull it. Wow. Because funding's been paused. And then... Every other client just said, we're not hiring now. So all, the, all our pipeline went to zero. And I had hired people who had left their jobs, right, for me. Some of them had families, some of them had family responsibilities, whatever it may be. I've come a long way in my personal growth as a human being to look at that and say, there's a, there's a um, saying in our faith that uh, the responsibility that we have as leaders will be accountable for on the day of judgment, right? So not just for your household, but for if you take a leadership role in a company, um, the people who you lead and manage will will speak against you if you mistreat them, right. if you're drunk with power, yeah. right? When I heard that years ago, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to, you know, sort of make sure I don't put a foot wrong? So the human side was always hugely important to me that, almost to my detriment, then I, w I would almost hurt myself or hurt the business financially so they wouldn't be. Right? Yeah. So I then paid them out of my own pocket, reduced salaries, of course, for that certain period of time yeah. during, like, during COVID. You didn't let them go. And, and didn't take any sort of salary for 18 months in the business. And then I noticed that a lot of people, I got really high respect and appreciation from that, barring one who exited the business. <laughs> Um, uh, he'll, he'll remain nameless, but he knows who he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then as we started growing the business again, I thought, take two, let's scale again. Let's hire some people again, win some more projects, high volume roles, you know, whatever it may be, niche roles, whatever it is and so forth, bring in more people. And I came to the realization after now, what, 19, 20 years of, of, of doing it, that why am I hiring all these people who have got five, seven, 10 years experience who say they know how to do recruitment? And you can only interview them and say, hey, hey, show us your buildings. What have you done? Do you know tech? Do you know data? Do you know engineering? Yeah. Do you know product? Do you know UX, UI, whatever it may be, and so forth? Yeah, they know enough. Okay. Then get them onto the tools, pay them 15, 25, 30K, whatever it may be, and they flop. Yeah. Eight times out of 10, nine times out of 10, they just flop. And I'm a business that I don't want to carry dead weight. 
When you say the money there, by the way, that's monthly durhams. Right? Monthly durhams. Yeah. yeah, just in case anyone's thinking yeah, that's yeah, a low yeah. salary in the UK. No, no, it's a, it's a, it's high. Yeah, it's good money. It's high. Yeah. Thirty thousand durhams a month is good. Yeah, you're earning what like yeah. that's like maybe six and a half thousand um, pounds. Yeah. yeah, in your pocket, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's huge money. It's a great but, retainer to deliver nothing for. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And I don't want to paint them all with the same brush, but a lot of people here, expats, um, that I noticed from early days. A lot of them are here for the wrong reasons. For the party life. They're here just for the lifestyle, mate. Like it's 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 warmer than the UK. It's more money than Oz and the States and so forth, right? And other parts of Europe. So you know, come here, even 15, 20k is good enough money to go out, have a few brunches and uh, meet yeah. meet a few people and have a really good lifestyle and you know, pump up your your Instagram stories and so forth. Yeah. And that's about it. And then coming to work kind of, you know, disinterested, not really committed, no real structure to how you're doing things and so forth. One thing I've always had throughout my career is the discipline on how I actually do recruitments, right? There's a structure towards how we do things and, and there's a methodology around it, which is why I really like the whole sort of Hoxley thing because it is very organized yeah. and, and structured. And then, I, then I, I just said to myself, why am I doing this? The guys to my left are, or, or, or to my right are hiring left, right and center and then I'm talking to their staff because I interview recruiters all the time. And they're hiring 10, 15 people at, you know, in the, in the space of six months. And then I'm talking to them and five have exited last month, three exited the month before. The company to my left is now, I've um, uh, gone up to 30 something people, but then re- dropped back down to 12. Other companies gone to, you know, 14 people, went back down to one and then restarted again. I'm like, how painful. How painful is it just to go up and down like a yo-yo with your head count? Yeah. Trying to get it right. Why? I don't care what anyone else says. They can argue it till they're blue in the face. Ego is the thing that makes people try and grow their business with headcount. Simple as that. They want the world to see their business with 15, 20, 25, 35, 40, 40 people and just show the world that. Yeah. I know one business that doesn't do it for ego because I know him really well and he's the furthest thing from it. Trevor Murphy from Cooper Fitch has got a large, large boutique, probably the largest boutique. That is, for my, in my eyes, the only genuine, standing, properly run large boutique in this entire region really they are a weapon right he's a weapon he doesn't stop he's he he that attitude is a reflection of his leadership in the end right so everyone else that i've seen from afar so this this is just an observation they're not factual yeah right but they it has to be eager because i've been in some of these businesses well that's the thing with you that's the thing that you know you you've you've come from Big businesses. You work for Hey Ransa, the second largest in the world, right? You're not 14 billion in revenue. Yeah, right? you're not. You're not. I mean, most people I see come out of small firms where they were the top biller and they try and grow and they've never seen it, so they can't do it. So they 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 kind of yo-yo around and they come to the conclusion that having a small business actually suits them better. Yeah. I worked for Randstad for a, a year or so, and then I went and worked for a boutique. We got to 50, but we were nothing like that. Again, my business. Got to forty. I'm back. I'm we're sub twenty now, and I'm really happy. I don't want headcount at all. I do not want to grow my headcount again. I'm not not doing it. Just not. It's, I, I've realised I do not like it. Like it's yeah. not the business I want. So, but you've come from the big businesses. You've seen it. You've played the political game. You've you've even thought about growing it, and now you've made the conscious decision, the awareness to take a decision and say I'm not gonna just grow headcount for the sake of it. So, how is your business run now? How do you operationally deal with the ebbs and flow of demand without, you know, being 15 hours chained to a desk every day. Core people here 
Um, David's one of them. Yeah, yeah. And David's a uh, integral part and a huge decision. Um, Crystal, who got who now got promoted to associate director, and very well deserved, has been with me since the early days of you know my previous firm. Right. Like, probably six odd years working with me. Yeah. She's a heartbeat in this business. She does a lot for me. That's outside of her JD. Yeah. If if there was ever a person who could say, "Hey, I can't do this because it's not in my JD," it's Crystal. Right. I know. Amazing. I'm probably giving her too much of a shout out. Everyone's going to now try and head up. Shankly, even you. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, and then we have freelancers everywhere. Yeah. And these are proven freelancers, guys that we either know really well or have met and have interviewed and have trialed and so forth in all different pockets of the verticals that we actually work in from ERP to data, to engineering, to crypto, to UX, UI, to product, to marketing, to whatever it may be, right? And they're based in South Africa, they're based in you know Poland, they're based in Prague, they're based in the UK, based in Singapore, they're based in Malaysia, they're based in Colombia and so forth, everywhere. Don't care where you are anymore. They're all success-based, okay? And I've got 13, 14 people. And, what, and what's the proposition? So if Arc approach a, I don't know, a broadcasting company in Dubai, what's, yeah. the, what's the sell? So the sell is still me. Right? The sell is still David. It's still Arc Talents, okay? The, the clients, what I learned, they don't care where these people are coming from, whether it's my freelancer or whether it's the guy who's sitting in my office. Why would they care? No. Okay? The product is all that matters. Your stamp of approval. Last exactly, right? So as long we... We prove every CV before we shortlist them. Those freelancers don't have interaction with the actual client. No. It's all us. We manage all the client relationships. We have to keep that in-house, of course. We're not going to outsource another. But all the legwork, all the groundwork that they're hunting these people down and they're qualifying them based on the criteria that we share with them from the briefings that we're taking. We give it to these guys. They give us the people. And then we submit them based on whether or not they meet our standards and so forth. And we even give them like the sheets they have to be formatted this way and so forth. And the CVs have to look this way, whatever it may be. We need these sort of answers. Certain clients, the good ones, they tell us, you need to find out one, two, three, four, five things. Yeah. Okay. So don't just give us a CV. Give us a write-ups based on these five facts. Yep. So then we give it to the freelancers. They then hunt all this stuff for us. This pivot 18 months ago is the best thing I've ever done in, in my whole career. And that includes my Randstad glory days. Okay. Because the freedom that I have of not having to worry about the headcount. Yeah. Especially this part of the world where they come with so much responsibility of visas and medical insurances and gratuity and all this sort of stuff, right? Um, there's a lot of volatility in the businesses in this part of the world yeah. that is very difficult to manage. It's a transient part of the world. It's it? Just, it just really is. And as much as people, again, will like to disagree or, or argue it, people jump for, a, for 1,000 dirhams a month mm. in our industry. They jumped because they had a bad month or the manager yelled at them. And it's just like, no, okay. I don't need the precious personalities of a full-time employee or having to sift through all the bad ones to finally get another crystal. Okay. So you've got three partner director level, including yourself, a network of freelancers around you. Yeah. And then obviously we've been working together. So you and David joined my program late, late last year. Yeah. What was the reason... Because I've known David. David for years. David. So David has been someone that has always interacted with me. And we've always killed, we had little connection, but never actually spoken properly. I think he'd always dealt with my team rather than me. Um, but he got you and I on a call. Mm-hmm. And again, I didn't know you were Jay by then. Yeah. I knew you knew, well, he says Randstad, it was weird, but I didn't know, I, didn't, I, didn't, I couldn't put the face to the name. What was it that made, 
because I remember you came off the call going, I want to do this. Yeah. What, what, why did you want to work with us? David had been working me over for the last probably 12, 18 months. Mm. Probably even longer, to be honest. Even, even prior to him meeting you, David was always big on um, doing something different than what we typically do, right? So whether it was a recruitment platform or anything like just yeah. disrupting our normal sort of methodology and so forth. So he would, and we always have been in communication. For the last sort of 18 months, just like, you have to do this especially more so than me because you already have a brand yeah. here. You already have a role of, this, of contacts and so forth. You know, that people who, who know you. So you need to just give that an injection of steroids and just, just go with it and so forth, right? And, but he, he explained it really well, but probably just not as well as you did on that call. And... Look, in the end, you, you try something, right? And then see whether or not it's going to actually be beneficial. And like I said to you earlier, your structure around how you do things is, is for me, it's unique that you don't normally see for other people who I've spoken to who do what you do, mm. right? And it's just, you know what? Give it a go. You seem like a decent lad. There's a sense of belief in your methodology to act, for it to actually work. And then going through the modules and understanding some eye-opening moments. I mean, like, you know, just the profile in, in general, just like, you know, how that's sort of structured and so forth. Like, you don't have time to think about yeah. it when you're running a business, running this, multiple accounts and so forth. You're not thinking about, mm, my first tagline on my, yeah. on my LinkedIn profile, like, who's thinking about this? Unless you've got someone in your business who is targeted to just think about these things for the staff, for the employees, like, you're not thinking about it. You're not, right? at the size of company you are, that well, would be a wasted resource. You're not. You have to be that... Like my vision is for businesses like yours, you've got to be the same online as you are offline. Like you're, you're so impressive offline, right? Meeting you today, you've got to be, but you, and, and you already were doing some of these things. So I guess, how is your approach? How is your approach now to your brand working with me and also some of those things you were already doing? How do you see the importance of your brand and the vision and how does that connect to the vision for art? So when, when we spoke, I think I mentioned to you that I was just about to launch the podcast, yeah. right? So, um, again, that was David and one other person just saying to me, just get in front of a camera and just start talking to people. You have access to these people. Yeah. Just rather than doing it at a coffee shop in private, make it public. Yeah. Have these conversations. And I'm never, I'm never a sell, a salesperson in recruitment. I'm a conversationalist. I just want to meet people and just get to know what they're doing and so forth. Because for me, it's education. It's how I learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't pick up a book and read and, yeah, yeah. and learn that way, right? So meeting people is how I learn everything, mm. right? So uh, when I launched Arc Talent, and I'll take it back a little bit, I wrote a launch blog saying that recruitment was broken and I wanted to fix it. And the whole process, especially in this part of the world, is destroyed. You know, we are... We are perceived as the lowest level of service providers going around. Mm. Right? We are the, the real estate agents, the car salesmen, the used car salesmen of the corporate world. Yeah. Right? It's, uh, it's not glamorous at all. We're not respected. We're not appreciated. And yet we are there banging the phones. We're meeting people trying to do something, which if you actually strip it back, is so important to both parts. The company does not succeed without the right people. I don't care how good your company is, the product, the concept, whatever it may be. You don't have those right people in there, you ain't going nowhere, okay? And we are changing lives because that person is going from one job to another. 
it took me probably just before Rand said to take that part, that element, a lot more serious. Yeah. Because before that, the cowboy days was yank them out, put them in, as long as they last three, six months, and I get paid, I don't care. I'm an invoice chaser. Yeah. Okay. But then you, and I'm going to quote her here. Nicola Hurst did a, um, at Randstad, she gave some feedback. She actually did a talk at the manager's conference in Sydney um, years ago. And she spoke about the success that she was having. She was like the top biller for years and years and years. And she said, she gave an example of once she had a big deal on, it was at final stage, at offer stage. And she yanked the candidate because she felt that after her repeated conversations with that candidate, that she would, uh, that candidate would be a disaster for that client. It was a hundred thousand dollar fee. The client's like, no, no, we'll hire them. She had to convince the client to not hire them. Yeah. All right. And forfeit the fee. I'll find you someone else. She was in my team. Okay. Hearing her be like this was the absolute light bulb moment. It's not the invoice. It's the relationship. Mm. Yeah. So as long as we focus on that, I don't need 600 clients. The first firm that I work with here, we had 606 clients who had signed a PSL. And yet every second week, the directive was, let's do a BD blitz. And me and David looked at why? Yeah. Oh, why are we doing a BD blitz? Why don't we call the 606 clients who we've actually worked well. hard to sign with and neglected and actually pick up work with them and actually establish yeah, yeah, a yeah. relationship with them? Why do we need 607? Why do we need 608? The firm after that, we had... You don't even need 600. No, mate. You need no. a full probably. The firm after that, we had 300 something um, PSLs. We transacted with no more than 34 clients any one year yeah. that I was there. Yeah. That's 10% of our clients. You know how I say it? How Deb Loveridge would say it. That's 90% of clients who are disappointed. Yeah. Conversion rates at 10, 12%. We're celebrating, right? Every boutique business that I know of here is making anywhere from five, six, 10 million dirhams, okay, in revenue. And they're going on their Ibiza incentives. They're going on their Vegas incentives or Thailand and so forth. They're having their big bill of brunches and so forth and whatever they're doing, okay? And they're celebrating a 10 to 15% conversion of their pipeline. And I look at that and saying, no, no, you should be looking at how you can convert the other 85% of the people who you've let down. Mm. Because that's how I would look at it. I want 100% conversion. How do I get there? Work with less, qualify my clients more before I say yes, taking on a brief, and then actually make sure that we deliver on that yeah. assignment. And we, yeah, we charge half the time, we charge up front because we work at 100% conversion. And there are some examples and people who might listen to this when you go live with it will say, yeah, but I gave him a job and we didn't fill it. Yeah, we didn't. There are probably a handful over the last probably 18 months since our pivot that we haven't filled those jobs that we thought that we would. And I can tell you the reasons why I've ever seen a lot of them. Mm. All right. So, yeah, but that 100% is an aspiration, right? It's a, it is. It's a North Star, it's a vision. It's not, you know, it's the journey to, to, to aiming for that. That's, exactly. that's going to make you a better firm. What, exactly. So what is the vision? If we wrap up, what is the future for ARC? How do you, where are you heading? What's the, how would you describe it? Look, could I have another 30 freelancers to be able to handle the volume? Absolutely. You know, will our brands, our personal brands and our company brands sort of grow over the next sort of 12 to 18 months, two years because of what we're doing with you and what we're doing with everything else and so forth. I, 
I think it will, and, and I think I'll be able to get in front of a lot more people and they'll get to understand our methodology and probably buy into that a hell of a lot more than what they have been in the last yep. four years. So we'll probably work with a lot more people um, and, uh, and, and do a lot more in that sense. But as we probably get in front of a lot more people, I'll probably be a lot more stringent about who we actually do partner with. So I spent a lot of time in the startup ecosystem. I've now been working on a solution for that startup um, uh, startup ecosystem because they can't pay our fees. Right. And I feel for the founders because I'm a founder and I understand they can't justify 15, 18, 22% for hiring a marketing manager in early stage startups. So I understand all that. So stay tuned. There'll be a, a solution for them coming up on a sort of a very tech tech way to, to actually do this. Right. But for the more multinational established sort of SMEs and, and so forth, as long as they want a recruitment partner, as long as they respect their recruitment partner, as long as they value what we bring to the table, then we're the ones that they're going to be talking to and they're going to see a huge difference in the service that David, myself and Crystal provide compared to everybody else yeah. because we focus only on that, yeah. on that service more than anything else. So volume doesn't mean nothing to us. Just 10, 15, 20 relationships who we know love us, respect us and value us, we're happy days. And it's, it's, it's I imagine the vehicle isn't for an exit. You're not looking at this big grandiose exit, right? Oh, those dreams are sailed. So what, what is what is the long-term play? Is it just to, to keep having, just to keep enjoying it every year or is it? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I'm doing other things now. So I'm involved in some tech companies. Um, I'm about to launch, probably by the, by the time this actually goes live, I probably have launched that I'm a co-founder in a tech company as right. well. Um, trying to do some other things, uh, keeping myself busy with properties and so forth as well. So. Um, you know, it, it's no longer the be all and end all for yeah. it, right? But um, it's it's the it's the major bread, right? It, it, it's the major core of who I am. It's the cash injection into it's, your life. It's it's the platform that I need to do what I want to do, and that is not recruitment. Yeah, it is to steer and advise and inspire leaders to become better leaders in their business, and to help businesses build a better talent acquisition and HR framework in their business. So they don't have the problems that they'd been having or that I've seen over the 20 years, 20 plus years um, uh, throughout my career that just hinder businesses, right? So I would love to be able to become a sort of, you know, senior advisor to a lot of early stage leaders, which I've started doing now with uh, Hub71 in Abu Dhabi and so forth and other sort of startups and, and just plug into larger businesses and help them say, okay, so what's your talent acquisition strategy? What's your framework? How, how are you going from here to here? And then help them with those sort of the segmentations and their process and their methodology and, and, and do that. To do that, to give myself that sort of platform, I need to be on the ground. I need to be hearing these these problems and thinking about what sort of solutions they need to be able to sort of hmm. execute into their business to make them successful and to really drive one big thing, which I'll always stand by. And I mentioned it earlier, humans. <laughs> we are human beings and and recruitment are guilty or is guilty of managing people on KPIs and revenue targets and neglecting the human side of that person's personal troubles, financial troubles, a death in the family, a breakup with a partner, whatever it may be, and they say, you've got a bill. <laughs> Try building when you get divorced or when you get separated or when your mum dies or when your dad dies. It's going to be tough, yeah. right? You need to be able to respect and appreciate human beings for who they are. They're not a commodity. They're, they're like... They're the core, they're, they're the heartbeat of every single business that you have. Mm. Crystal and David are crucially important to me in life. 
right? The freelancers, even though they're not employees, are, their, their well-being, their happiness is crucially important to me. I would rather have that and be semi-successful than be an uber-successful guy with wealth and have wronged a hundred people. I wouldn't sleep. No. You know, so just having that sort of platform to be able to do all these things that I'm passionate about, which is leadership and, you know, and just advising people and so forth, becoming a mentor to a number of people would be fantastic. And Dubai, long-term, is this you, set? It'd be hard to leave Dubai. Oz, it is always home. Melbourne's always home, right? And uh, there'll be a time where potentially we might go back there. Um, uh, but Dubai is, is home because kids love it. It's like, it's built for children. It's built for fans and it's just, a, it's a really safe. And you're in the middle of everywhere. You can get one yeah, flight just, Melbourne, it, one flight London. It, it, it's just, uh, at the moment it works, right? So I doubt it to go anywhere else. But again, travel to, to the UK to watch Liverpool win the league every single year would, would be fantastic. <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, we can talk, we'd have a whole, whole new atmosphere. Yeah, because I know that, mate. I know that, mate. that one. Abdul, thank you. Thanks for being so honest. It's been a pleasure. Open. I know, I've loved it. And um, if anyone does want to reach out and ask questions and pick your brains on anything that you discussed, are you open to that? If Absolutely. I tag you on LinkedIn? They can get me, get me on LinkedIn and, and to my detriment, I, I typically always respond as well. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you, mate. Thanks, mate. Thank you as always for listening to today's show. I truly hope that you got value from it. Honestly, it's the only reason I take time every week to ensure that my audience, you guys, future and existing recruitment owners, you're learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. And today's episode is brought to you by my business, Hoxo. I'm the CEO and founder, and we're on a mission to help brand recruitment agencies and their people better. I want to help people have the tools to stand out in the most competitive markets in the world. We're currently working with over 350 recruitment agencies and 5,000 of their consultants right now, helping them to build their personal brands, to consistently win more business, attract talent, and just become that go-to recruiter in the market. Now we do have a huge coaching program, but a lot of people don't know, we also manage the brands of a lot of founders and we can do the rebrand of that company organizational piece as well. So if your recruitment agency either needs help to look and sound exactly how you want it to, or your leadership and consultant level need to get out there and drive more traffic back to that website, to the business and start using LinkedIn to generate more revenue, then you should definitely be reaching out to us. If that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean, a personal message on LinkedIn. I love hearing from RAG listeners. I would love to talk to you. Uh, look forward to it. So I'll see you again next week with another episode. Catch you soon.